hand. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue, if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. The things which you have learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do. And the God of peace will be with you. And may the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word this morning. Let's pray together. Father, we are very thankful for your spirit which you have given to us. We're thankful that he dwells within us that He can and does guide us. He does teach us. He does train us in righteousness and godliness. We ask this morning that Your Spirit would work in our hearts and lives. That the things that are spoken may be of encouragement, may be of challenge, may be used in any way that Your Spirit desires to use them for Your glory. And so we lift it up to You and ask Your help in Jesus' name. Amen. Many years ago, a man who was facing death penned these last words to a friend. It's a bad world. An incredibly bad world. But I've discovered in the midst of it a quiet and holy people who have learned a great secret. They have found a joy which is a thousand times better than any pleasure of our sinful life. They are despised and persecuted, but they care not. They have a master that is benevolent, kind, and gracious. They have overcome the world. These people are Christians, and I am one of them. And I am one of them. So Paul's imperative in what we have just read this morning, the first one is rejoice. Rejoice. It's a continuous thing that ought to be going on in all of our lives, all of the time. Rejoice! Rejoice in the Lord. Always, at all times, rejoice in the Lord. Can you really command that? Can you really command someone to rejoice? You really can't, can you? Rejoice! Okay. He's trying to stir up something. It isn't that way, is it? You really can't command someone to rejoice or to be rejoicing. It's a byproduct of experience that stirs rejoicing in the heart. Now, remember the context in which we find this verse. Sometimes this verse is taken out of context. Oftentimes it's taken out of context. And it's okay because it, it has a universal kind of aspect to it as well. But remember the context. We studied it last week. There were some issues within the assembly of God's people. There were two women who were having difficulties with one another. They were struggling in relationship with one another. And Paul calls on them to be of the same mind. He calls on them to stand fast in the Lord. To be of the same mind. Deal with the issue. Get it squared away. 
And then he calls on Clement and he calls on others of the fellow laborers with him to help these women. Help them in the problem that they're having. Help them in this difficulty that they're going through. And in that context, he says, rejoice in the Lord always. Regardless of what you're going through, regardless of how hard this circumstance has been, the solution is rejoice in the Lord. Be of the same mind. And that mind is a mind of rejoicing in who you are in the presence of the Lord. To rejoice in the Lord for what He has done in your life. And all of a sudden, all of these little petty things are not so important anymore. Because you've got your eyes and you've got your focus back. It is in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. Now, imperatives don't always mean a command. Most of the time, they are the idea of a command. It is not always do this or else in a command. But oftentimes, they're reminders of what we should be. Reminders of what we should be doing. How we should be living. And Paul gives this reminder to them on how they should be living. Rejoice in the Lord. What is it, my brothers and sisters, that causes you to rejoice in the Lord? What is it that causes you to rejoice in the Lord? If you had to make a list of the things you rejoice in, in the things of the Lord, what would be on that list? What would appear on the list? It's a good exercise to do, by the way. I had to do it while I was preparing for this. What are the things we rejoice in? In the things of the Lord. Just think. Or even for a moment here. Just think of all that He has done for you. Think of all that He has accomplished on your behalf. Think of all that the Lord has done and all the promises that He has made to us. The future and inheritance that is ours in Him. In the Lord we rejoice. In Him we rejoice. Rejoice, my brothers and sisters, that your sins are forgiven you. You rejoice in that? Rejoice that your sins are forgiven you. Rejoice that your name is written in heaven. You see, the context of this flows right out of where he says, my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice! Your name is in the book of life. Unless you've never come to know him. Unless you've never placed your faith and trust in him. And then your, your name is not written in the Lamb's book of life. But while you live, there is still opportunity to never have your name taken out of the book of life. Everyone who lives, I believe, his name is in that book until the time in which they die. And when they die, if, if, if you're basing it on the historical accounts that you have in, in cities where they would do this, but if you die without the Savior... Your name is not there anymore. But your name, my brothers and sisters, your name is in the book of life. And there it will remain 
forever. Forever. Rejoice. Your sins are forgiven you. Rejoice. Your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. Your name is in the book of life. Rejoice that you have been declared righteous because the Lord Jesus Christ bore our sins in His own body on the tree. Rejoice. Rejoice that you have the Holy Spirit that has sealed you unto the day of redemption. Rejoice. Rejoice that He is the down payment of the promised inheritance which is to come. Rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice that the Lord Jesus is coming again. Rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice that you are a child of God, redeemed, set free, and loved by the Savior. Rejoice. Are these things to rejoice in? Are you rejoicing? Are you rejoicing in Christ our Savior? Now in this world, hardship and trials we will have. Hardship and difficult times and tribulations we will have. But rejoice. He has overcome the world. Rejoice. He has overcome the world. That great sting of death He has overcome. Rejoice that the grave has lost its victory. Rejoice. Rejoice. You who sorrow now will one day have every tear wiped away. Rejoice in the promises of God. He lifted me out of the miry clay and He set my feet on solid ground. Rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord. And we ought not concern ourselves too much in the style of rejoicing. We ought not to concern ourselves too much in the culture of rejoicing or in the culture of worship, but to remember that our rejoicing is in the Lord. If you are in Africa, you may be dancing up and down and and spinning around in the assembly of God's people, rejoicing in the Lord. You might be one who is raising hands and, and rejoicing in the Lord and worshiping the Lord. You may be like in the Philippines where their their most their fullest expression of rejoicing is to sing. And they love to sing. And they'll sing praises to the mode is not important. The heart is. The heart is. Rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. In the midst of the hardships that the assembly was going through there in Philippi, he says, get over these issues by rejoicing in the Lord. Remembering what He has done. And remembering whose child you are. Rejoice in the Lord always. It's not the style we focus on. It's the one whom we rejoice in that we focus on. Keep your eyes on the Lord. Keep your eyes focused on Him. And we cannot help but rejoice. We cannot help but rejoice. 
and in our rejoicing, we can weep with those who weep. In our, our rejoicing, we can rejoice with those who rejoice and we can weep with those who weep. Because it isn't always an external expression as much as it is the internal reality of the joy that Christ has placed within our hearts and all that he has done for us. And that is why even those who are facing dire problems, even those who are facing imminent death, still can rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice. Oh, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord always and for every thing rejoice it's kind of like it's kind of like uh, in everything give thanks in everything give thanks he didn't say for everything give thanks he said in everything give thanks there's a difference between those two things isn't it i mean you know you don't say boy i'm just so thankful that i have this deadly disease that I'm going to die in a few weeks' time if the Lord doesn't re, you know, restore me. But in it, you can say, I know the God who holds me. In it, I can say, I know the God who loves me. And if this is in His providence, this is in His desire for my life, I can accept it and I can hold fast to Him and I can give thanks in Him. Rejoice in the Lord always. Even when tears are rolling down our face, we can rejoice in what He has done. And then He goes on to say, Let your gentleness be known to all men. Be rejoicing in the Lord as you're working on this situation Be rejoicing in the Lord and let your gentleness be known. Let your moderation or your gentleness be known to all men. Let your gentleness be known to all men. Now we recognize that gentleness is that one of those aspects that is created in us by the Spirit of God and by the Spirit of God's work in our lives. As He smooths off all the rough edges of what we once were. As He smooths off the coarseness of what we once were. When He smooths off the hardness that we once were in the way that we spoke and in the way we dealt with individuals. When we in our arrogance spoke to people. He said, no. No. That's your gentleness. Remember, that's a part of that fruit of the Spirit. Gentleness. It's what the Spirit of God is producing in your life. Have you noticed in your own life, my brothers and sisters, as you've grown in the Lord, have you noticed as you've grown in the Lord that the Spirit of God has made you a more gentle person than you once were? I remember an elder once at at, at, uh, Westwood's Bible Chapel. We won't mention any names because he may have a relative in here. But at one time, at one time when he was, he was uh, very, very strong and very, very outspoken. And, and as a young man, I was afraid of this guy. I really was afraid of him. I didn't feel like I could approach him. 
He was such to me, such a godly man. And as the years went by, and as the Lord worked in the heart and life of that man, in his older days, uh, you couldn't have found a more gentle man with a gentle spirit. It's the Lord that does that. It's the Lord that does that. How about you? How about me? Have we, have we seen the Lord making us gentler? As we've been yielding ourselves to the Spirit of God, because it's the Spirit's work in our lives that will do it, are we finding ourselves to be gentler in the way in which we communicate His love? Have we been gentler in the way we communicate correction? Have we been gentler? More concerned about others than about our own self? Have we become more Christ-like? He was meek and lowly. Not that he didn't have strength. Not that he didn't have power. Not that he wasn't the strongest and most powerful man walking the earth when the Lord walked this earth. But he was meek, gentle, kind, and gracious in that strength. You can be a strong man. You can be a strong woman. You can have knowledge. You can have understanding. And as the Spirit works on you, you can express all those things with gentleness. It's what the Lord does in our lives. Be gentle. Learn gentleness. Learn meekness. One has termed this this way. It was Matthew Arnold in his translation. said it this way. Let your sweet reasonableness be manifest to all men. Let your sweet reasonableness be manifest to all men. This doesn't mean lack of conviction in areas of doctrine. It doesn't mean lack of conviction in discipline and in principles, but it implies the kind consideration of others. The kind consideration of others in your dogma. The kind consideration. The word means selflessness. To be selfless. To be known for selflessness. It carries the idea of being fair and mild and gentle. To be known as an individual like that. To be known. He says... Let your gentleness be known to all men. And it's interesting in that verb, to be known, the voice is passive. It has the idea, in the, when it's a passive voice, that this is a work that's being done to you, not by you. Let your gentleness be known. You're not, you're not making it known. You're not boasting in yourself. You're not boasting about your gentleness any more than you boast about your humility. It is what God is doing in you and you rejoice in what He is doing. And sometimes you'll just be sitting there and you'll just smile to yourself and say, I can't believe what God has done by His grace in my life because I'm not the same person I used to be. I'm not the same person I used to be. 
but you don't go out and tell everybody <laughs> that I'm, I am just so gentle. I'm such a gentle guy. I want you all to know. Didn't it say to let your gentleness be known? I want you to know I'm gentle and kind. No, it's what the Spirit of God does in your life. He will make it obvious to those who are around you. He will make you approachable by those around you. Yes, you're to strive to become gentle. You're to be striving to become meek. It should be a desire to become selfless. But it's what the Spirit of God is going to do in you as you yield yourself to Him. That strength in the gentleness. To be known for your forbearance. To be known for your long-suffering. To be known not as someone who flies off the handle at the simplest things. But as long-suffering and gentle. A.W. Tozer, speaking about this selflessness or selfishness in his pursuit of God, when self, speaking about the self-sins, he wrote this. To be specific, the self-sins are these. Self-righteousness, self-pity, self-confidence, self-sufficiency, self-admiration, self-love, and a host of others like them. Do we admire ourselves? Do we admire our abilities? Or do we rejoice in Him? Do we rejoice in the One who gave Himself for us? What a wonderful God. Let your gentleness be known to all men. Why? He says, because the Lord is near. Because the Lord is near. Now, that can be taken a couple of ways, I suppose. It can be taken this way. It can mean the Lord is right here. He's right near. He's seeing and he's listening and he's observing all. I guess observing and seeing is the same thing. Huh? But he's observing all things. Not only the things that you're doing, but the things that you're thinking. And he sees and he knows. The Lord is near. And he has exhorted, in the, in the context in which we're finding ourselves, these women to get this straightened out. He's exhorted the men to help them. He's told them to rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. But let your gentleness be known. Let your gentleness be known. You're rejoicing in the things of God. Let your gentleness be seen among them, because the Lord is at hand. The Lord is watching. The Lord is paying attention. Do we care about honoring the Lord in the things that we do and we say? Do we care whether we honor Him? Well, He's there. He's watching. Another thing, another way in which that could be taken is the soon coming of the Lord is at hand. The soon coming of the Lord is at hand. Let's, let's do what we need to do. Let's get it right. He's knocking at the door. He's coming soon. Remember that stone? Hark the sound, the awful sound, the sound that seals your fate. For he who writes finished on your 
works is knocking at your gate. Man, there's some great old stones out there in the graveyards. He is near. He is at hand. So let your gentleness be known. Let the Lord see you working out the problems, working out your salvation with fear and trembling because He's at work in you. Let Him see it. Do it for His glory. And then He comes to this. Then He exhorts them, and this is an imperative, be anxious for nothing. Be anxious for nothing. Be anxious, not even in one little thing. Be anxious. Sounds reasonable, right? (laughs) Rather, it sounds a bit unrealistic. Be anxious and worried about nothing. Not even one thing. We worry about everything. We worry about finances. We worry about our children. We worry about our grandchildren. We worry about work. We worry about issues of the assembly. We worry about health. We worry about disease. We worry about death. We worry about someone driving in a storm. Like I did last week when Rachel was driving down to Philadelphia in the, in the stormy weather. I was worried about my 41, oh, I shouldn't tell how old she is, daughter driving through a storm who has driven for many, many years. And I was worried and concerned. We worry. We are concerned. We worry about trouble in the world around us. We worry about the news bombarding us. We worry about what kind of country we're leaving to our grandchildren. If we're Christians, we generally don't frame it that way. We don't say we worry about everything. We're prayerfully concerned about many things. We're prayerfully concerned about many things. And uh, all that means is that we're worried. But prayerful. And there is the answer. There is the answer. We are worried. Then you begin worrying about worrying. Then you worry about, well, I, I prayed about this. I wonder if I prayed right. And we worry about our praying. Did I pray right? Is this the way I'm supposed to pray? Did I say the right things? Did I repeat it too many times? Did I not repeat it enough? And we begin to worry about how we even approach the Lord with our cares and our concerns. The way to be anxious about nothing is to be prayerful about everything. The way to be anxious about nothing is to be prayerful about everything. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with prayer, with supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. He knows our frame. He knows our frame. You look, and I've said this several times, and I've probably said it here before. The reason why you have exhortations, the reason why you have commands in the Scripture concerning anything 
But here in this specific context, the reason we have commands about not worrying, the reason the Lord said in chapter 3 not to worry, the reason we we read in, in Psalm 37, fret not, is because he knows we do. And you go all the way through Scripture from the beginning to the end and you will find it over and over and over and over again. That men are fearful. Men worry. Abraham, the great man of faith, he's going into Egypt and he said, Sarah, just tell them you're my sister because I'm afraid they'll kill me just to take you. Isaac, there's fear. There's worry. Read through the Psalms. How many times do you see it there? There's deep concern. There's deep concern. Why so downcast, O my soul? Put your hope in God. Put your hope in God. He's convincing himself that that is what he needs to do. That is what he needs to do. Do not worry, the Lord Jesus said. It's an easy command to speak of, but it's a hard one to put into practice. It's a hard one to put into practice. George Mueller said this, The beginning of anxiety is the end of faith. And the beginning of true faith is the end of anxiety. End of anxiety. That makes sense, doesn't it? Again, easy to say. Easy to say. But we have a great God. We have a great God. And all of us in this room who know Him would never question His ability to give us peace in the midst of struggle and hardship. To give us peace that we do not worry over every little thing. I catch myself having to do this all the time, as you do. I catch myself having to do it all the time. I'm a worrier. Joyce will tell you that. No, I'm not a worrier. I'm a perfectly concerned individual. But I'm perfectly concerned about many things. But I do go to prayer. I do turn them to the Lord. And I yield them to the Lord. That doesn't mean as soon as I yield them to the Lord, I stop worrying. I do for a few moments. Then I go back again, and I have to over and over yield it to him. Are you that way? Be honest. I mean, are you that way? I guess none of you are. Now I feel really ashamed. (laughs) We tend to be that way. We tend to be that way. He knows our frame. The psychoanalyst of the world will give men and women who are stressed and worrying a long list of things to do to relieve the stress. This is what you do. They they will list a whole long list. Just Google it. I did. That's why I know. Oh, you need to do... You need to get in a quiet place. You need to get in a lotus position. You need to meditate. You need to... All kinds of different things to do to just empty yourself. And the solution is not to empty yourself. The solution is to fill yourself with, with the things of God. The presence of your Lord. And that will remove stress. By prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Making requests known. 
unto God. And what is this promise? And the peace of God will guard your heart and your mind through Christ Jesus. You have found that to be true, haven't you? You have found that to be true. He sends His peace and it guards your heart. And that word really means to garrison. It means to set a garrison. It set a troop of soldiers around your heart to protect you and to give you peace in the midst of hardship. And then ten minutes later, you'll need to do it again. I was talking to a girl down in the Bahamas about this, and she was fretting about some stuff and really seriously struggling with the idea of, you know, pray, I'm, I'm trying so hard to just lift, give it to the Lord. And then she was getting to the point where she was worrying about worrying, and then she was worrying about, you know, her, her, the way the Lord was seeing her as she was concerned about. So she was getting concerned about a lot of things. And I said that, I mentioned to what I just mentioned to you about all through the Scripture we find men and women that worry, that are concerned, that have fears. And he said, and over the many years, you will learn to turn these things over to the Lord. Over the many years of your walk with Him, you will be turning these things over and over and over to Him. Then after about two or three decades of doing that, you'll grow this much. But you'll grow. You'll grow. Some of you are farther along that line than others. But the peace of God can bring contentment. The peace of God can bring a guarding in your heart, in your understanding. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding. And that is, that is an important phrase in this context. Because the peace of God that you will receive in the midst of very, very hard times, it's almost a it's almost difficult for us to express to people who do not know Him. Who do not know Him. It's difficult to even express, I have a peace about this. How can you possibly have a peace about this? Because the Lord has given me a peace about it. I can accept His will. I can accept His providence. I can accept what He has allowed. I can accept it and have a peace about it. I put it before the Lord. He has brought me a peace about it. And it surpasses my ability to even understand how I can be at peace. But I am. But I am. Have you been there? Have you been there? Have you experienced that kind of peace? Sometimes we, we, we recognize that things change. And things are changing all the time. From the moment we're born, everything we come to know and love changes and inevitably disappears. Disappears. Sometimes we want things to just slow down a bit. Just take it easy. We watch our parents grow. They get old. Little by little, the hair begins to turn white and fall out. Mine is not falling out, by the way. Little by little, they grow old. They're always talking about their aches and pains now. I get together with friends of mine. Jim and I oftentimes will talk about, you know, this hurts and that hurts. And, I like it. 
and you begin to talk about your aches and pains, and young people say, that's all they ever talk about is their aches and pains. All they ever talk about is the new med they're, they're on. They're getting older. And where they seem to have so much energy at one point in time, they seem to have slowed down and don't have the same energy. And young people will look at them and say, well, why don't they do, every, why don't they do the things we do? We did. We did. You know, even in the assembly of God's people, why aren't they involved like, like we are involved in the things of God in the assembly? We are and we were. We had strength to do it. How do you think this building got here? And just because people slow down doesn't mean their love for the Lord has changed one bit. And it's probably because they're praying for you that the work is going on. And they're doing what they can do for the glory of God. Now, Dad is in the grave from a heart attack or a stroke. Mom is a widow, having a hard time standing on her own. And she passes. We watch our children, grand, or children grow into adults and then we find new joy in our grandchildren and watching them grow. I have in my office, I'm watching the time, I have in my office, I, I have framed, it's, it's framed on my office wall, and it's, a, it's an old growth chart. And then on there is Rachel and Kimberly and Abby. Abby's always been small. And it sits on my wall, and it's a reminder to me that, yes, I was there. I raised my children. They're all going on for the Lord. And I watch my grandchildren and I pray for my grandchildren. Life is moving on. Life is, life is moving on. Be anxious for nothing. Commit those things to the Lord. Things are going on. So we place our faith and trust in the One who never Changes. All things change. But Jesus never. Glory to His name. We're all, we're all getting older. Some of us quicker than others. But we're all getting older. But He never changes. And the God you could commit your cares to when you were young is the same God that we commit our cares to now that we're old. And as Isaiah said, even unto gray hairs, He will carry you. He will carry you. He will carry you. Has He carried you, Elaine? Oh, yeah. He will carry you through the hard times through the hard, hard times, He will carry you. And our prayers are accompanied with thanksgiving. When I was writing, penning those words, this phrase of a song came into my mind. On the stormy seas, He speaks peace to me. How the billows cease to roll. He speaks peace to me. We reflect back on His faithfulness. We reflect back on all that He has done in our lives. 
all the times that He was faithful. He's always faithful. He's always good. And we're thankful. And we look forward to what yet lies ahead of us. We look forward to His promises. And we are thankful. We're thankful for music that plays on our phones. We are thankful for what He has done for us. So with prayer and supplications, that deep crying out to God in times of distress, in times of hardship, when we are anxious and concerned and we cry out unto God, He can bring peace in our prayer by thanksgiving, we make our request known to Him over and over. And His peace guards our hearts. Wonderful thoughts. Wonderful thoughts. Now in verse 8, I've got a few more minutes. We're just going to kind of move through this rather quickly. Finally, He says, finally, this is what I want you to hear last. He wants your minds to be focused on things that are wholesome. He wants your mind to be focused on things that are good. He wants your mind to be focused on those things which are good. We are all aware of the, of the adage, garbage in, garbage out, that we used for, first we, it was used for computers, and now we use it for our own experiences in our own walks. If you put garbage into your mind, garbage will come out your mouth. I guarantee it. Guarantee it. Have you ever noticed if you hang around people, and sometimes it's not your choice, you just have to because of the work situation you're in, and they're using foul language all the time, something bad goes happens, and all of a sudden you, you feel like, you hesitate because a word was coming out of your mouth that you never use. But garbage in, garbage out. And whatever you're filling your mind with, and I don't care what that is, whatever you're filling your mind with is what's going to come out of your life. It's what people are going to see. It's what people are going to experience. We're quite aware of the truth in our human minds. We are aware that Paul says in Romans 12, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That you may prove what is good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. We are mindful of the fact that as a man thinks in his heart, so he is. Real change must come in what we think. What we think about. Real change must come when we yield ourselves to the work of the Spirit of God. Now, when I was growing up in the Gospel Hall on New Hall Street in New Haven, when I was growing up in the Gospel Hall in those, in, in those early years at Westwood's Bible Chapel, there were certain things Christians did not do. They just, you just did not do them. Boys did not have long hair. Did you see my hair when I was in high school? Boys did not have long hair. Girls did not have short hair. That was just the way it was. There were rules about such things. Now, we know there's also some biblical injunctions concerning those things. 
But sometimes it just came. We, I, I grew up in the era. I know everybody has Mother's Day plans. I grew up in the era of, of the Beatles when the Beatles were big. And they had that scandalous long hair. And the injunction from the elders was, don't you have that? And you look at them now, that wasn't really that long. But there were certain things you just did not do. You didn't go to movies. Well, you went to some, but you didn't go to movies. I remember the very first movie I ever went to with my parents was The Sound of Music. That's scandalous film. The Sound of Music. And my dad loved it. Oh, he loved it. We went once to the World's Fair in, in New York in 1964. We went to the World's Fair on a Sunday. It was the only day my dad could go. Oh, yeah, he did get rebuked. He did get rebuked for going on the Lord's Day. And maybe he should have gotten rebuked. I don't know. But all I'm saying is, we feel like we've come beyond that now. We're liberated. We're free. We can do whatever we want to do now. And the old rules of those old archaic people don't apply to us anymore. Guard your heart. Guard your heart. What are the things that you put in? What are the things you put in? Whatsoever things are good. Whatsoever things are wholesome. He goes on. Whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are good, report. If you're thinking out on these things all the time, guess what? It's going to be reflected in the way you live. But if you spend very little time reflecting on anything like that, don't expect that your life will be stellar. Don't expect it. Think on these things. Meditate on these things. Don't be so worried about your rights. I have the right to do this. I have the right to do that. I can do that if I want to do it. You certainly can. Go right ahead. Have fun. There are consequences. That's all I'm saying. There are consequences. Father, we give you thanks for your mercy and your grace toward us that even when we were sinners, Christ died for us. We're so thankful this morning that we can rejoice in him. We're so thankful we can rejoice that our sins have been forgiven. We're so thankful we can rejoice that our names are written in heaven. We're so thankful for all that we possess in Him. The freedom and liberties that we possess. But may we not use our liberties as an opportunity for the flesh. May we desire to live for Your glory and honor. And Lord, we know that we are all anxious about things. We all worry about different things. Different levels of worry even. Help us to remember but by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving to make our requests known unto you. And we may have to do it multiple times and you know our frame, you know how weak we are. But we desire to have your peace in the midst of hardships, in the midst of things we cannot understand, in the midst of things we don't know why they've happened. We can trust in your providence. May it be for your glory and for your honor. 
We commit each one into thy care in Jesus' name. Amen.